0: Alright, here we are back again, finally, this is Didactic Mind, episode 92, Medical Malpractice. A very warm welcome to all of my long-time listeners over on Podbean, finally got it right. Welcome to all of my long-time readers over at the site. I know it's been a while since I've done one of these, it's been, what, over a month, actually, Uh, six weeks almost, actually since my new year's day podcast so i have let things slide quite a bit i've just been stupid busy of late dealing with a major project that i'm working on i can't give out any details but suffice to say it has to do with cryptocurrency and it's quite fascinating and uh it is you know a brave new world out there uh, in terms of what is available uh, for freedom-minded individuals who want to stay the hell out of the conventional monetary system, who don't want to be tracked, who don't want to be inspected at every turn by governments. Now, there are some halfway house solutions coming up which balance out the right to privacy. I wouldn't just say it's the need for, for privacy, I would say there's a right to privacy. With the government's legitimate needs, for law enforcement and uh, avoiding criminal activity. Hopefully I can talk about it someday, but uh, for the time being, it will stay as it is. So, with respect to what I want to discuss tonight, or today, depending on where you are when you're listening to this, basically, the motivation for today's podcast has to do with Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s new book, Uh, the real Anthony Fauci. And it's a very, very long book. It's over 900 pages long. I mean, a good couple of hundred pages is just footnotes and references, of course. So, you know, there's a lot of padding going on. But this is not an easy book to read. It's not an easy book to walk through because there's so much material in it. Now, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., is very much a liberal, an old-school liberal, just like his dad, Robert F. Kennedy. He used to be, uh, as I recall, Attorney General of the United States under his brother, Bobby Kennedy's, uh, sorry, not Bobby Kennedy, Jack Kennedy's uh, administration. I got the two Kennedys confused. So Jack Kennedy got shot, John F. Kennedy, uh, who... It was a complex character. He was not uh, your standard liberal, he was not your standard conservative either. He was a war hero, for sure. He suffered tremendous pain all of his life. I mean, the, the list of Jack Kennedy's physical ailments is staggering, and yet he was still able to pull off some absolutely amazing things in his life. You never got the feeling looking at him in old TV footage that he was basically crippled by pain and constant pain and constant misery. Uh, If you read through what he actually endured, it's genuinely shocking. I mean, it it is amazing that that man had the force of will and strength of character to endure as he did. Now, he wasn't perfect at all, but uh, you don't cheat on Jackie Kennedy Onassis or whatever her name is now or was, uh, with Marilyn Monroe and Lord only knows how many other women without some serious moral deficiencies which Jack John F. Kennedy definitely had. But the Kennedy line definitely produced some very strong-willed people. I mean, not good people. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is rather too complimentary about his uncle Edward Kennedy. He glosses over some of the really, really devious shit that uh, Edward Kennedy did. The uh, Mary Jo Kopechny incident is not even mentioned. I mean, Edward Kennedy literally left a woman to drown to her death in the back of his car while he went to go you know, rest in some friend's house. I mean, Edward Kennedy as well, most people don't realize this because... It's hard for people to believe, to, to think that part of American royalty would do this. But Edward Kennedy himself struck a secret deal with the Soviets. And this is backed up in Peter Schweitzer's book, uh, Reagan's War, in which Edward Kennedy went to them and promised them uh, help, essentially, with their political goals with respect to U.S.-Soviet relations if they assisted him in his presidential campaign against Ronald Reagan. Well, there's a word for that. and It's not a nice word. It's called traitor. And that's what Edward Kennedy was. He was willing to sell out his country to the Soviets just to gain political power. The so-called Lion of the Senate was nothing of the sort. All of that being said, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. himself is clearly a man willing to take very unpopular stands for what he believes is right. Now, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has long been associated with the anti-vaxxer movement in the United States. He is not an anti-vaxxer. He is anti-stupidity, as so many of us are by now, because we have seen what the not-vaxxers have done. And in this book, The Real Anthony Fauci, What he paints is a picture of a narcissistic little troll named Anthony Fauci who honestly believes himself to be one and the same as science. This is not a man you should trust as a used car salesman, let alone as the head of the National uh, Institutes of... uh, Allergy and infectious disease in the National Institute of Health. This is a man who should have been shunted into uh, a cushy retired job by now. Just, he should have been, actually, he should have been retired 20 years ago. Um, his incompetence and his venality and his, his lack of humility is such that this man really should have been retired years and years ago for the good of the entire country. But no president has had the power or the guts to stand up to Anthony Fauci Fauci himself. That's the kind of name that Anthony Fauci has made for himself and that's what this book goes into. It points out that Anthony Fauci as a doctor is actually really nothing particularly impressive. He's not, he's really not. He's not particularly smart, he's not particularly accomplished, he's not particularly skilled. He is not even a particularly good researcher and yet somehow he has managed to turn himself into the highest paid civil so-called servant in the entire U.S. government. He's paid vastly more than the president himself is paid out of the public purse. He has lasted through, uh, let's see, Reagan, Bush, uh, Clinton, Bush 2, Obama, Trump, Biden. So he's lasted through seven presidential administrations. Well, six if you... Count the fact that the current one is fake. So, you know, six administrations, six legitimate administrations, although, you know, even with Obama, there are some serious questions about the 2012 election which have never been fully resolved. But anyway, this is a man who has inordinate power and who subscribes fully to germ theory. Now, if you're, now, if you're not familiar with germ theory, it, it, essentially that goes back. And this is all unpacked in the book. It's a very, very good book. I highly recommend you read it, but it's not an easy read. This isn't something that you just take to the beach and finish in one sitting. No, sorry, you can't do that. It's 900 pages long. I've got the Kindle edition. It's taken me six weeks to get to this point. I mean, I've been busy, but you know, even then, it's a long, long, long read. But it's not a difficult read. It's a very compelling read. And if you read the book, what you'll see is that Anthony Fauci has actually been on the wrong side of almost every single public health issue in his entire career. He's gotten the facts wrong. He's gotten the treatments wrong. He's gotten the protocols wrong. He's gotten the scientific evidence completely wrong. He's bamboozled and misled administrations, multiple presidential administrations. He has fooled governments around the world. He has imposed by diktat, essentially, ideas and treatments that actually are incredibly dangerous, and he's never had to pay the price for what he's done. This is a man who should have been thrown in prison for what he's done to people around the world, but he is protected by some incredibly powerful allies. So, who is this man, Dr. Anthony Fauci, so-called Dr. Anthony Fauci? Well, he is backed and supported by Bill and Melinda Gates, Bill Gates in particular. Now, I referenced germ theory, so let me go back over that because I didn't finish that thought. Germ theory and terrain theory are two competing paradigms, points of view, over how diseases uh, start and propagate through populations. Germ theory puts the blame for disease entirely on organisms and says that bacteria viri Viruses, viri, as far as I know it's viri, plural of virus, but you know, you probably, viruses is more acceptable, so viruses, fungi, um, and uh, parasites are primarily responsible for adverse health outcomes, disease, of any kind, and therefore the best way to stop a disease is to stop the organism is to sterilize the organism, okay? Well, that's one theory. The other competing paradigm is terrain theory, which says that it is the surrounding environment that weakens and damages the body's immune system and stops it from functioning effectively, and thereby allows otherwise relatively harmless outside influences, such as these germs, to invade, occupy territory and cause problems. Now Louis Pasteur, uh, French, very famous of course, French, uh, French uh, chemist and biologist and so on, uh, was the greatest proponent of germ theory during his life. And he created a series of experiments to prove that you could raise creatures in an aseptic environment and that would prolong their lives. The exact opposite thing happened. When these experiments were done, essentially what happened was that these um, cows gave birth to calves in a completely germ free environment, or as as close to germ free as they could get. They were born, they were completely scrubbed down, you know, like isolated from the mother in, in sterilized, sterile. Holding cells which were cleaned out daily, washed with soap, and and sprayed with antiseptic, uh, uh, you know, carbolic um, solutions every day, and they were fed completely sterilized foods and you know, you know pasteurized milk, basically. And what happened in every single case was that every single one of the calves died within a few days of being born. So the hypothesis that you could raise organisms in an aseptic environment went straight out the window or at least it should have if pasteur hadn't falsified his data which is exactly what he did he was one of the greatest uh scammers and cheats in all of medical history he literally lied his way into fame that's not to say that he was wrong completely because he wasn't you know pasteurization is a legitimate technique it does work it i mean if you believe in drinking raw milk, which I'm, I'm at least open to the idea because it kind of makes sense. But if you're, if you're into drinking raw milk, then you're probably getting a lot more health benefits from doing that than you are by drinking pasteurized, homogenized milk. Um, if you're, you know, interested in in that idea of of eating raw foods as close to raw as you can get, well, okay. I mean, I'm not telling you, I'm not going to tell you you're crazy because So much of what we've been taught and told for 30 years, maybe probably longer about 100 years by now, has been proven so thoroughly false. And that indeed is the theme of tonight's podcast, and I'll come back to this idea uh, towards the end. But this idea of germ theory is simply wrong, and on his deathbed it is rumored that uh, Pasteur basically said something like, "The, the germ is nothing, the terrain is everything. He conceded defeat, in his battle against, I forget the other, uh, other physician's name, but he was wrong, and he admitted that he was wrong. Germ theory is incorrect for the simple reason that you as a person are full of microorganisms. Your gut is full of, like, it's estimated to be about a tri- uh, several trillion bacteria. And if you put all that bacteria in a bag and weighed it, it would be like at least a kilo of bacteria of organisms just living inside of your gut those bacteria are absolutely vital and necessary for you to survive you can't digest food without that bacteria being there there are billions and billions of organisms living on your body you know bacteria and uh and and microscopic little parasites that that eat dead skin off of your flesh uh i mean they don't eat your flesh but they eat dead skin cells that fall off of you uh, the dust mites, for instance, are all around you. And they're not particularly scary. They're, they're, they're actually quite benign overall. It's only when something throws your body out of whack, something damages your equilibrium or your strength, that bad things start to happen. So your mental state might be affected where you become depressed, you stop taking care of yourself, you stop, you stop eating healthy, Uh, you stop eating the right things, you stop feeding your body the right nutrients, you become anxious, you become stressed out, and these increase certain problems in your life, they weaken your immune system, and hey, presto, bad things move in and attack your body. Because in reality, your immune system, your body is a miracle of biological engineering. God knew what he was doing when he created you, when he created all of us. He created each and every one of us. He created every living creature on this planet as a marvelous, wondrous, living machine, but he created humans with sentience and free will. So when we look at the human body and everything that it is capable of, we see a number of different organisms, hundreds of billions or even trillions of organisms, including ourselves, working together to sustain life. That is miraculous. Terrain theory says, is best summed up, really, the difference between the two paradigms is summed up in that old meme. Uh, if If you see a fish that's sick, okay, The solution under germ theory is to vaccinate the fish. Terrain theory says, if you see a fish that's sick, clean the fish tank. Which one is more accurate? Well, the one that is more accurate is the one that fits the facts better. And if you look at the arguments presented not just in this book, The Real Anthony Fauci, but in Virus Mania by Torsten Engelbrecht and of course the lovely and charming Dr. Sam Bailey, I'll come back to her later on, you will realize that they are right. There are some charts in there about the incidence of diphtheria, pertussis, uh, whooping uh, whooping cough as it it was known, tetanus and polio and, and a bunch of other very, very nasty diseases from the 20th century and earlier. And you can see that actually the incidence of those diseases absolutely fell off a cliff over the course of the 20th century, well before vaccines were introduced for them. Why did that happen? Because in the Western world, standards of hygiene rapidly improved from the 1800s to the 1920s. During that roughly 120-year period during the Industrial Revolution, Yes, a lot of bad stuff happened, no doubt. Pollution in the skies and the rivers, uh, child labor, all of that stuff that we look at today as very, very bad. Okay, fine. But it also resulted in a massive explosion in standards of living. The, The Industrial Revolution is what created the middle class. The bourgeoisie came about as a result of the Industrial Revolution. Without it, we wouldn't have a middle class today. And it was the middle class that gave us modern standards of living, modern standards of cleanliness and hygiene. This, not vaccines, is what drove the rapid drop in child mortality and adult mortality rates from diseases of all kinds in the 1900s. And the data show this pretty conclusively. Now, That's not to say vaccines have no role to play. I am not, again, I personally am not anti-vaccine. I am certainly in favor of people taking tetanus shots, excuse me, rabies shots, smallpox shots, etc. Uh, Where vaccines have been proven to be safe, relatively safe and effective, then yes, if you feel safe and you're, you're okay with taking vaccines, go ahead and take them. I'm not stopping anybody from, I'm not saying that they're a bad idea. The principle of vaccination makes sense, variolation as it came from, um, from smallpox, makes absolute sense. The idea is to build up your immune system to recognize something dangerous, to attack it quickly, and to leave you, you know, relatively free of disease. These, these are good things. But somewhere along the way, we fooled ourselves into thinking that everything is due to germs. It's not. It, that's a nonsensical idea. We don't get sick just because of germs. We get sick because of a whole host of factors, and that is becoming more and more apparent as we go further and further into the 21st century. I don't have a whole lot of respect for Eastern medicine or holistic practices of medicine, but I will concede that the holistic approach to medicine has some very, very good points. One of those good points is that every aspect of your life plays a part in your overall health. Your mental well-being, your physical well-being, and your moral well-being all tie together. Indeed, the moral level is the highest, the physical level is the lowest. If those three sort of areas of your life are misaligned in some way or another, you're probably going to get sick. Now, I'm saying this as somebody who is almost disgustingly healthy, for the most part, I'm not in by any means an underwear model because I don't look like one. I'm I'm basically a fat powerlifter. I mean that's really what I am. But I can do things at my advanced age that people 15-20 years younger than me can't do. Why? Because I take the trouble to keep myself in decent nick. I go out for walks, I pray, I exercise, I eat lots and lots of meat and lots of fresh simple food. I basically try to keep myself in, in decent shape and essentially I look after myself and as a result I don't really get sick very often. When I do get sick is because something really nasty has hit me and it's something that I can't easily fight off. The last time I got seriously sick was July last year and I talked about this uh, before in a couple of articles. I actually had the coof, or what people think of as the couf. So. What was the coup? Well, this is where we come back to the book. As these books, plural, that I've mentioned, the real Anthony Fauci and Virus Mania point out, we have no idea what COVID is. There has never been a serious purified sample of COVID. No one has ever isolated a purified strain of COVID under an electron microscope to show that this is a novel coronavirus. It's never happened. You can look in all of the literature, it's never been done. Furthermore, Dr. Fauci, doctor quote unquote Fauci, the guy should be stripped of his medical license at this point, knows this. He knows damn well that there was never any serious effort to isolate and purify the disease. He knows this. He based his entire set of conclusions not on medical evidence and data and and actual facts, but on his blind adherence to the germ theory paradigm, where you can build a vaccine against a germ. Maybe you can, maybe you can't. But this very, very foolish way of thinking is now dominant throughout most of the Western Academy and throughout most Western-trained doctors. This is a terrible, terrible thing for us as you know, prospective patients. What we're dealing with is a mindset that says, you can vaccinate your way out of just about every problem to do with disease, and that's ridiculous, it's nonsense. The reality is you can't. And this book, The Real Anthony Fauci, goes into very deep detail about why this idea doesn't work, and It looks at some of the very, very real public health disasters that Anthony Fauci has created. He is responsible for them. Starting with the AIDS virus, or the AIDS epidemic, I should say, because, as you're probably going to be very surprised to find out, there is no conclusive causal link between HIV and AIDS. Let me repeat that because you've been, if you're like me, you've been raised your entire life to believe that HIV equals AIDS. That is categorically not true. Let me repeat that. There is no conclusive causal link between HIV and AIDS. If you say this in public, you're going to be looked at like you're crazy and yet no less a personage than Dr. Luc Montagnier, the Nobel Prize laureate who won the Nobel Prize in part for his role in discovering HIV has said so. He has said that there is no real evidence linking HIV to AIDS. Now, what is AIDS? Well, this is where it gets really interesting. In the 1970s, a bunch of gay men in San Francisco and New York and a few other you know, hot spots of homosexual activity in the united states showed up in hospitals dying of very strange cancers cancers that really you don't see in healthy people kaposi's sarcoma and uh, a couple of other particular symptoms which healthy normal people just don't have so what was going on what was what was causing this problem well the common factor involved in all of this was that the victims were gay and the overwhelming majority of them were intravenous drug users. Or I should say, that's, that's mis- no, I misspoke. Many of them, not the majority, but many of them were intravenous drug users. Most of these gay men were using something called poppers. If you've never encountered this term before, uh, I advise caution you, before you Google it. I mean, nothing obscene comes up, as, as far as I know. But if you go search it, if you duck-duck-go duck, 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 it or you Google it or whatever, you'll see uh, nitrites come up. And um, basically what these are, uh, you, know, uh, you need nitrites in your bloodstream um, when ingested orally or through food. That's a good thing. But when you inhale nitrites in the form of gas, this is actually very, very dangerous. Now the reason why they were used, or why they were so popular in the 1970s is because they uh, served as muscle relaxers. And it, I don't want to gross anybody out, but you know, if you do what homosexual men do, it's, it sort of enhances the pleasure of the act. I won't even go into that. It's just too disgusting because, I mean, let's face facts, homosexuality is disgusting. But um, that's what they were sold for. As a consequence, however, of using poppers, people who use them, men who use them, would typically find that their immune systems would be destroyed because that's the nature, that's the side effect of using poppers. It, It really tremendously damages your immune system. So a bunch of gay men were dying of these very strange diseases. And during the research phase, Dr. Montagnier discovered this strange, uh, hibernating uh, retrovirus. But oddly enough, this retrovirus didn't seem to do anything. It didn't actually destroy the immune system. It didn't damage, it didn't like, it didn't attack anti, Uh, Antibodies and destroy them and then thereby propagate itself through the antibodies. Now, Robert Gallo essentially stole Luc Montagnier's discovery. And that's uh, if you want, um, if you want a perhaps a slightly less incendiary take on Gallo's um, role in the whole affair, then read a book called uh, Beyond Love by uh, Dominique Lapierre and. um, Somebody else, I forget his name. Uh, is it Larry Collins and Dominic Lapierre? Uh, I forget. I think, it's, I think it's Larry Collins and Dominic Lapierre. I, I read it many years ago. Uh, but Robert Gallo essentially used his charm and his kind of ruthless alpha male drive to be the best and to show that he was the best to rip off the discovery and announce quite sensationally in the mid-1980s that uh, the, the, cause of HIV, uh, the, the cause of AIDS had been discovered, and it was this retrovirus named HIV. But even at the time, there were strong doubts about whether that was true, and the evidence since then has, has just compounded the issue. There is simply no evidence that we have to date, conclusively showing that HIV actually morphs into AIDS. There are many, many records of people living with HIV completely normally, living completely uh, healthy lives. They've lived well beyond what you would expect from a so-called death sentence like HIV. And if you look at the people who actually have AIDS in the Western world, they overwhelmingly share specific traits. They are gay men and or drug users, especially intravenous drug users who share needles which means AIDS is not a disease, it is a collection of symptoms caused by lifestyle choices. But this is bad news for big pharma, for the the virus industry, or the vaccine industry, I should say, and it's very bad news for people like Anthony Fauci who support it. Now, Fauci's involvement in the vaccine complex goes back to AIDS. It goes back to a drug called AZT, uh, his role in big pharma in general, not just vaccines. AZT was a drug concocted as a way to combat AIDS. It is a random acting DNA, it is, how do I put it? It's a random acting DNA chain terminator. So it randomly destroys the ability of DNA to replicate, which is to say it does exactly the same thing as AIDS, but it's a drug. The toxicity of AZT as pointed out in the book was so great and so severe in the doses that were administered in the original clinical trials that most of the subjects who took it died. Fauci knew this and he still pushed AZT as the most effective available treatment for AIDS. That's bullshit. AZT is so toxic and so dangerous. It should never have been used as a drug to treat anything, but it was touted as a miracle cure for AIDS. It was nothing of the sort. The people who took that drug died of the same symptoms that they would have died of if they'd had AIDS. And that's what makes it so tragic and so scary. People died of this drug, taking this drug, when they shouldn't have died. That includes uh, celebrities, as the book points out. I think Arthur Ashe is one of them. Rock Hudson, who's gay, uh, is another. They ended up taking AZT. Magic Johnson, now here's the interesting thing. Magic Johnson has lived with HIV for, I don't know, 20, 30 years, I have no idea. I don't follow sports balls, so I have no idea. But he's been living with HIV for decades and he's completely healthy. Why is he completely healthy today? Because he was put on AZT back in the day and the effects were so toxic and so severe that he said, no, I'm not doing this anymore. He went off AZT and miraculously began to recover. Again, this is not new. We've known this for 20 years. There's a film dating back to, I think, 2010 or something uh, called uh, Beyond HIV or something like that. I, f- I forget what it's called exactly. Uh, I'll have to go look it up. But the film uh, essentially looks at the lives of many individuals who have AIDS, who are diagnosed, uh, sorry, who have HIV or diagnosed with HIV, did Confirmed diagnosis with a PCR test and so on. And yet, they live healthy lives. So, what's going on? The narrative doesn't make sense. And the thing is that Fauci himself ran out of credibility with HIV and AIDS by the 1990s because people could see that he wasn't producing the promised results. So, eventually, he couldn't figure out what to do. He was like, uh, oh crap, you know, what do I do now? He hitched his star to uh, various AIDS explosions in Africa. Now, here's where it gets really weird. AIDS in the Western world is a gay disease, a gay intravenous drug-using disease. It has virtually no impact on healthy, homosexual, uh, healthy heterosexuals, and it has virtually no impact on non-drug users, which is to say the vast majority of the population. AIDS is a niche disease with very terrible effects on very specific people. Okay, fine. But in Africa, it is the majority of people who have AIDS are heterosexual women who don't use drugs. How is it that the two diseases are completely different? How is it that in one set of circumstances, one very specific segment of the population has AIDS. And in a completely different environment, a completely different, much broader segment of the population has AIDS. How does that make sense? Here's how. In Africa, they don't test for AIDS the way they do in the West, where you have a very expensive, very elaborate PCR test, which by the way is not a very good test for anything. Uh, The inventor of the test, Dr. Kari Mollis, said as much. Again, Nobel Prize laureate, he said, uh, PCR does not tell you if what you have is actually particularly dangerous. It just says you have something, but it doesn 't tell you what the the danger of that thing is in Africa. they don't do that. they just look at your symptoms, and they, one of the symptoms is sudden weight loss in thirty days, which is exactly what happens to anybody who goes to africa it's like." You drink the water there and you crap your guts out for a week. I mean, at some point, that's going to happen. You know, If you go to India and you eat the local food, you're going to get sick. There's even a local term for it, it's called deli belly. And it's, uh, it's absolutely disgusting. Everybody who gets, goes to India gets sick at some point because that's what the hygiene standards are like in India. Don't eat salads, don't eat anything uncooked. Um, and even then, you're, you're still gonna get sick at some point. You're going to have horrendous, horrific stomach flu. I've been there, tw- I've had it twice in India, and it's just, you know, for three days, you basically wanna die. It's, it's so bad. Uh, you lose about, you no know, anywhere between five and 10 kilos easily in the space of a week. Because you just, you can't eat anything. You, you're, you're so sick, you're puking out and crapping out your guts all the time. If that's one of the symptoms that's listed as a positive diagnosis for AIDS, well, no wonder so much of Africa has got it. I mean, the, the, the way they diagnose this disease is a joke. And yet, that's what they do. So what we're looking at in Africa is an explosion of a disease where we don't know the underlying cause, but we say, based, based on these very, very broad symptoms, you must have AIDS. it's like, how are doctors getting away with this? They're getting away with it because they don't know any better. And they don't know any better because the researchers and um, the administrators at the top of the hierarchy in the West are all corrupted. They're corrupt creatures. They're corrupt agents of the devil. And that's the truth of it. As, as incendiary as that sounds, that's the truth of it. I, I challenge you to read this book. I challenge you to read Virus Mania and come away with your opinion of Fauci and the medical establishment unchanged, still thinking that these guys are agents of good. They're not, they're agents of pure evil. Looking at Fauci and how he managed to kind of weasel his way through so many false pandemics and so many false epidemics, how did he manage to do it? Because he has the backing of Bill Gates. Bill Gates as Robert Kennedy points out in the book, is very far from a benign technocrat. This guy has a very clear agenda. He wants depopulation. It's not a wingnut conspiracy theory. It's actually based on his statements in public. It's not based on you know, tinfoil hattery. The, the, the vaccines and the medical treatments and procedures that he has pushed in Africa, in the third world, in India, in Pakistan, in Sri Lanka, Uh, in much of the third world to take advantage of lax testing standards and lax oversight to, to, to use humans as guinea pigs there essentially is outrageous I mean the things he's done the things he's complicit in are absolutely infuriating and outrageous and he deserves to be prosecuted to the full extent of the law for what he's done the evil that that man has perpetrated is genuinely shocking and you have to read the book To find out what that is but with respect to fauci and all the others like him what has happened essentially they've been able to create panic after panic and what they've managed to do is scare us into thinking that every pandemic or every disease that comes along is something that desperately needs a vaccine to be crash developed you'll remember swine flu back in 2009 i fell for this myself by the way i mean this was back when i used to watch mainstream news reports uh, before I, this was well before I came to the conclusion that most journalists basically need to be um, well, beheaded or impaled. Uh, I mean, that's, that's essentially the way I think of it at this point. Uh, there are exceptions. I mean, there are some journalists who do good work. But uh, for the most part, these people are the literal mouth of Sauron. And, uh, well, you all remember what uh, Aragorn did to the mouth of Sauron in Return of the King wonderful scene but if you look at what the the swine flu scare was all about H1N1 is gonna get out into the public and it's gonna kill millions and millions of people and we need to crash develop a vaccine to do it uh, to, to stop it okay well how did that pandemic actually unfold number one almost nobody died from it very very small number of people died number two the modeling was the modeling was based on really terrible assumptions and they were, the models were built by none other than Professor Neil Ferguson, Dr. Neil Ferguson, whatever his name is, whatever his title is. That idiot from Imperial College. The, the bonking boffin who projected two million deaths without lockdowns in the United States and 500,000 deaths in the United Kingdom without lockdowns and whose predictions have been completely off the mark every single time he's made them. Whether it's swine flu in 2009, or um, what was it called, Uh, foot and mouth disease in uh, the UK, a few years before that, or the COOF in 2020. Every single time he's been called on to make a prediction, he's fed the absolute stupidest variables and the worst code you've ever seen into a computer, and he's come out with outrageously dumb predictions. Outrageous things that scare the crap out of people and especially out of governments and give them the excuse to take over and lock down and essentially demand compliance from populations that are too scared to do anything else. And this leads me to the real point that I want to make tonight about the medical industry. It We are now at the point in much of the world where doctors can no longer be trusted. If you're going to a doctor, don't trust one single word your doctor tells you. It gives me absolutely no pleasure to say this. I want to make that very clear. I love my grandfather. He was a good man. He was a doctor all his life. He was a damn good doctor. He was a a GP, but he was a really good man. He tried to be, he was a weak man, but he tried to be a good man. And he was a very good doctor. My relatives, some of them are doctors. Some of my good friends are medical doctors. These are good people. I'm not saying that they are bad or evil for what they do. But the profession of medicine has become so thoroughly corrupted so thoroughly evil, so twisted, beyond recognition, away from the, the 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 goal of healing people and into a profit-driven machine that there is no going back, for Western medicine at least. Whatever advice your doctor tells you, he's probably wrong. The reality is that you can stay quite healthy for most of your life by simply obeying the same principles that your ancestors did. Eat right, drink clean water, get lots of sunshine, get lots of sleep, stand up, go out for walks, get physical exercise, love your wife, love your children, love your God, be a decent person. That's not to say that, you know, all medicine is worthless. Of course not. I'm not saying that at all. When you get hit by a car and you have to be you know, put back together, you know, like a doctor has to put pieces of you back together. That's a valid use case of Western medicine. That is a, you know, a surgeon doing what he's doing. I mean, he's a lifesaver. I fully agree with that. But a heart doctor that tells you to take uh, statins to suppress your cholesterol, that's bullshit. The entire uh, basis of lipid theory, of the, of the lipid hypothesis is completely fraudulent. The, the Ansel Keys came up with that uh, seven country study. He really should have called it the 21 country study because of the 14 countries that he left out where if you look at the, the seven countries that he, he showed on his graph way back in the 1950s, he showed saturated fat intake on one axis and incidence of heart disease on the other axis. And because of these seven countries, they lined up in a very nice straight line, and it showed that the more saturated fat in the diet, the higher the rate of heart disease. Nice, clean causal relation, correlation between the two. And he postulated the hypothesis that it is a causal relationship, that saturated fat intake leads to high rates of heart disease. Once you add back in the 14 points that he uh, forgot to include in the first place, then the entire linear relationship completely disappears. It's gone. There isn't a linear relationship anymore. It's, there's nothing there. There's nothing to indicate that saturated fat has anything to do with heart disease. And indeed, that is the state of the literature today. If you look at the medical literature, it's not, you know, cholesterol has very little to do with heart disease. The theories today are all about inflammation, lifestyle changes, things that you eat which cause stress to your body and thereby cause inflammation in your arteries, avoid those foods. Take in lots of healthy fish oil supplements that keep you relatively clean, running well, you know, keep you uh, in good nick. Eat vitamin C rich foods, eat eat mineral rich foods that keep you strong. These are the ways you avoid disease, not taking medicines. I mean, what you won't realize, statins are like billion plus dollar drugs in the medical industry. If you actually look at the uh, disclaimers for statins when they advertise them on TV, which, by the way, there are only two countries in the world where pharmaceutical companies are allowed by law to advertise. One is the US and the other is Japan. As far as I know, I could be wrong about this. It's been a few years since I checked the data. Elsewhere in the world it's not allowed. You're not allowed to advertise pharmaceutical products on TV. But in the US, if you look at the ads for Lipitor or Crestor or whatever other statins are out there, a couple of them, I think. a Couple more of them I'm missing. Look at the ad for Lipitor. In the fine print, the really, really, really tiny fine print that you're not supposed to read, it says that statins should not be prescribed to women over 50. Why? Because they're completely useless. They're actually worse than useless, they actively damage the health of those women. I know women over 50 who are taking statins because their doctors told them to, because those doctors don't know any better. They're not smart enough or they're not up enough on the medical literature to read it. That's the state of Western medicine today. If your doctor is telling you, take medicine X, get a second opinion, get a third opinion, your doctor is not acting in your best interest. Not anymore. And that, you know, This is not true in... in other countries in, in the third world, let's say, I mean, in Russia, for instance, your doctor still knows who you are, knows your family, is willing to come over for visits in many cases. Doctors there, at least, have some integrity. They don't, they're not paid anything like what they are in the US and um, in, in private practice in the UK and in Canada, or if, if private practice even exists in Canada, I don't know, but they don't get paid the kinds of salaries that they do elsewhere. In the US, I mean, you go there as a doctor, you make that money, you basically uh, have you know you you have a a golden ticket for life. I mean, good, okay, fine. You know, and justifies the cost of medical school, but still, that's an absolute joke. I mean, the fact that your doctor isn't looking out for you is an absolute and utter joke. Now, why has this happened? Because of the corruption of science. We know that this has been taking place for decades. Most people, you know, we heard so often over the last two years, trust the science, trust the science, the science is right. Well, what is this science? Is science somehow God? No. Science is actually just a field of human knowledge. That's all it is. In fact, science as a discipline has four parts to it these days. It used to be three, now it's four. I take no credit for this formulation, it's not mine. This belongs to. Our beloved and dreaded supreme dark lord, peace be unto him, Vox Dei. Science, as we understand it, is three parts plus one. Scientody, the scientific method of testing, inference, and observation. Scientage, the body of transparently testable scientific knowledge. Scientistry. What scientists do, the profession of science. And unfortunately today, scientism, the religious dogma of science. We are living in an age not of science, but of scientism. We are living in an age not of scientotty, but of scientism. Of blind, stupid belief in something that cannot be questioned. It's like we're worshipping the cult of Dagon at this point where you cannot question belief in something that is patently absurd, and yet you have no choice. Now, fortunately, dissident voices are appearing. They've been appearing for many years. I mean, I used to be of the view that you should take your flu vaccine every year because of course the flu vaccine works. Well, no, actually it doesn't. It's not particularly effective. If you take the average effectiveness of all flu vaccines, this is on the CDC's website, and you can go check it out. They actually list the Uh, approximate effectiveness as measured by its ability to prevent you from getting a flu in getting influenza during a a typical flu season the average effectiveness is well under 50 percent you have over a one in two chance of getting the flu even if you're vaccinated on average there have been only one or two years in that entire data set where the effectiveness of the vaccine has been over 60% or anywhere close to 60% actually. So the flu vaccine is basically useless. As Robert F. Kennedy Jr. points out in the book, many of the vaccines developed to combat some of the nastiest diseases in the third world are actually totally useless. They're not just useless, they're actively dangerous. They cause infertility in women Again, the Gates Foundation is behind a lot of that crap. Bill Gates has been pushing these vaccines on people who don't know any better, who aren't informed, they don't have informed consent. The, the clinical trials designed for these vaccines are corrupt beyond belief. There's no placebo group, or if there is a placebo group, it's very badly managed. Um, there's no such thing as a, like a randomized controlled trial in these cases. The way that these things are managed is absolutely heinous. And yet this is what they pass off as so-called science. It's just, it's infuriating. Now, what we're dealing with is a, an epidemic, a pandemic of blind stupidity, really. But dissident voices have appeared. I mean, if you look at doctors, uh, Sam Bailey and her husband, Mark Bailey, they have been very prominent in New Zealand in, in saying that COVID-19 doesn't exist that it's a made-up disease, that um, COVID-19 is effectively a psychological uh, fear campaign that has induced symptoms among people due to mass hypnosis and, um, and, and psychosis. I get where they're coming from, but I have to respectfully disagree. I had a very, very nasty disease back in uh, July last year, and I am very, very healthy. I have been saying since uh since basically uh may 2020 so almost two years now that this pandemic this so-called pandemic is nothing more than a scam so i've been yelling from the rooftops to anybody who listened that this is nonsense and i still got very sick for 10 days my antibody levels are still elevated i mean i checked back in october obviously um my antibodies are there, they clearly reacted to something. So it's not a made-up disease. I've seen people getting sick in Russia from something. And these are (laughs) skeptical people who are young. They don't believe in the fear porn. They don't believe in what the government's telling them. They freely associate. They live healthy lives. They're not smoking. They're not drinking. But they all caught something pretty much all at the same time from the same event. So something was spreading in Russia among them and they got very sick for a week to 10 days, and they all recovered. My view is that it is some kind of weird flu, because if you look at all of the symptoms of COVID, so-called COVID, and you look at all of the symptoms of so-called long COVID, and you compare them with past flu epidemics, what you're gonna find very quickly is everything that is so-called COVID has been done before. It's happened before with flus in the past. So this is not new. This is not novel. This is not surprising. It's happened. We should not be screaming uh, bloody murder about some novel coronavirus tearing through the population. No, it's not that. It's almost certainly some kind of strange new flu that we don't fully understand and we haven't really uh, isolated. The way that the so called isolation was done, the way that the so called RT, reverse transcriptase version of the PCR test, was created under the Corman Drosten protocol. By the way, Corman and Drosten have massive conflicts of interest. I mean, they got very rich off of these PCR tests that they came up with the formulation for. Turns out, you know, in the Euromonitor journal that they submitted this thing to, that paper had one day's peer review. One day's peer review and they failed to disclose all of the conflicts of interest that they had with respect to their pharmaceutical companies paying them and the laboratories paying them, they profited massively off of something that they knew wasn't effective. RT-PCR tests don't tell you if you're sick. They're actually totally worthless. They're totally useless. Most of these tests are run at way too high a cycle threshold, so everybody shows up pretty much as positive. I mean you know above a certain cycle threshold above like 35 basically most PCR tests today are run between 30 and 35 cycles the actual recommended cycle threshold is like 28 so these tests are designed to make you look like you're positive when in reality you don't have symptoms this uh, this whole asymptomatic transmission thing that Fauci and others rabbited on about for you know, Lord knows how long it's nonsense it never happened the woman that they used as the test case was repressing her symptoms with medication. She was actually positive and she had symptoms. She just didn't seem like it because she was repressing them. And that's before, I mean, I haven't even gotten into the vaccines. That's before we get into the issue of the vaccines, the clot shots, the the not vaccines, the, the poison death shots. Now I've gone on and on and on about them on my site for over a year. If you've gotten the vaccine, okay, that's your choice. That's your problem if you decide to stay pure blood more power to you because what's becoming more and more clear with every passing day that we see more days to come through the clot shots are not effective they are not sterilizing they are leaky they treat the symptoms only they don't treat the underlying disease which is why people who have lots of clot shots keep getting the disease and their immune systems are being compromised by what's being done to them with these clot shots which is why they suffer more from the symptoms now than people like me who didn't get the shots. I probably had something like, well, whatever Omicron or Mor- the Moronica strain is, back in January. I got sick for a few days. I felt like crap for uh, about two days. I had a mild fever, I achy, and uh, you know, I a slight sore throat, and I just felt awful for those two days. It was like right, right after New Year's Day just about right after that. And two days later, I was fine. It was just a cold, that's all it was. If the reports about the moronica strain or anything to go by, that's all it was. It was just a cold. So everything we've been told about this disease, everything we've been taught about the medical profession in general, is a lie. We are dealing with an epic, case of medical malpractice that pervades our entire society. Don't trust your doctor is the message to take away from this. Doctors who have done their best on the front lines to heal patients and to treat the sick, good for them. These people are saints and they deserve to be treated as such, but they seem to be a distinct minority. So when it comes to your doctor, these days, don't trust them. Don't trust your doctor, trust your judgment, trust in God. Trust in faith. Trust in Christ. That's the only way forward. Your doctor is probably going to lie to you for his own profit. If you find a good doctor that you actually can trust, well, treat him well. You know, shake his hand. Uh, invite him over for dinner because that is somebody who's worth his weight in gold. But the odds are you're dealing with a corrupt person who is a slave to a corrupt system. That's all we have time for. It's been uh, fun. Uh, It's been a long time since I've done this, actually. But it's been fun to to get back into podcasting. So uh, hopefully it will not be another six weeks before the next one. Uh, And it shouldn't be. But uh, I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, As always, please feel free to like, comment, share, and subscribe to the podcast or the site. And this has been Didactic Mind episode 92 medical malpractice, and this is Didact, signing off.